Welcome to the Institute of Buddhist Studies podcast. The following is an audio recording of Kenneth Lee's Numanta lecture, Shinran's devotional hymn of Prince Shotoku, held at the Institute of Buddhist Studies on November 19, 2010. For a video version of this talk, please visit our website at podcast.shin-ibs.edu. I'd like to thank the, the Numata, Numata Foundation and, of course, uh, Dr. Richard Kane for this gracious invitation. Uh, it's nice to be back in the UC Berkeley area. I have a good friend, uh, Dr. Duncan Williams, um, who is out of town, but I often come here and uh, really love the area. Although I wasn't prepared for the rain, because when I left Los Angeles, we're not raining down there. Um, I, I forgot to get my um, umbrella. But uh, thank, thank, thankfully, uh, the hotel had an extra one, someone who left it behind or something. So I have one. So thank you for coming. And, um, and hopefully, we can have a wonderful time here. Now, this is a, a lot of things here. Um, the presentation I'm about to give you is based on the book that was published by uh, SUNY Press called The Prince and the Monk. You can find it on Amazon.com or uh, with SUNY Press. Um, this, this is a culmination of my study at Columbia University uh, with uh, my advisor, Ryuchi Abe, who is currently teaching at Harvard. And um, he taught me all about Buddhism. So if I make any mistakes, uh, you can blame him, not me. <laughs> okay. um, I guess I, I can begin a little bit ab about how I became interested in the study of Shinran and Shotoku, who lived you know, about 600 years apart. Um, I, went, I, I went to, uh, after my college education at Occidental College in, 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 uh, in psychology, I went to Princeton Theological Seminary for um, theological studies. And at that time, I was interested in doing comparative religion. I took some courses in Asian philosophies at Princeton University and really enjoyed it. I realized that because of my Asian birth and background and up, upraising, um, I had a lot of kind of intuitive understanding of Asian philosophies to begin with. So it really gave me an edge uh, to uh, better understand um, Asian philosophies and religions. So I hungered it even more. Uh, and I looked for graduate programs and, and I was very fortunate enough, just like um, Shinran found Honen, to find uh, Professor Ryuchi Abe, who pretty much guided me through the steps um, to learn about Shinran and Buddhism and other religious traditions. Um, I first wrote a paper in, in my graduate school at, at Columbia comparing the notion of faith in Calvin and the notion of Shinjin in Shinran. And both Professor Abe and Robert Thurman um, really loved the paper. They said I had some really unique insights, and it was a really good beginning to my comparative work. However, as, as you may know, in graduate studies, you have to focus on one tradition. And I just focused on uh, Shinran and learned the languages and, and took all the unnecessary courses until I was ready to um, write the dissertation. Um, the dissertation was a little bit different in title. It's called Shinran's Dream. And Shinran's Dream is based upon um, his dream of Shotoku Taishi, 
who appear to him as um, Kanon, uh, Bodhisattva of Compassion, during his 100-day seclusion at the temple Rokakudo. Um, and I believe that that was a very pivotal time in his life where I understood it as his conversion experience. Because from that point on, he was really um, involved in, if you, if you say, like uh, starting or uh, launching a new brand of Buddhism that was a little bit different from the traditional ones that he'd been raised in uh, on, on Mount Hiei and the Tendai school. Uh, he, soon after his uh, meeting, his dream that's recount, uh, recounted in uh, his wife's uh, letters and his own work works, he met Honen, who taught him the teachings of uh, Pure Land Buddhism, Jodoshu. But then after that, um, they became so popular that uh, the masses began to um, you know, become very attracted to the teachings, especially the farmers and, and women and, and people who are in the countryside. And it, so much so that it caused an uproar and concerns to the establishment. Uh, and as a result of that, some um, some the, the temple establishment that was based on Kofukuji, they uh, um, issued a, uh, a ban um, along with the approval of the retired emperor at that time to uh, ban the teachings on the basis of heresy. Because some of uh, Honen and Shinran's disciples were um, associating with the uh, the emperor's consorts, so it was not a good thing. Uh, so un unfortunately, Shinran, Honen, and other disciples, they were exiled. And after that, uh, after about five years, um, or seven years actually, the exile was lifted. He came, he didn't come back. Shinran stayed in the Kanto region where he continued to um, spread the teachings of um, his, his own kind of understanding and reformulation of Buddhism um, along the lines of, you know, Jodo Shinshu, uh, this, the new way of uh, the one school of thought that uh, he founded. So he gained a lot of uh, uh, followers and it started to grow. Another thing that really interested me about Shinran was he had, he became married, he got married to Eshini and he had kids. Uh, some other scholars said he even had maybe two, three wives and had maybe as much as seven kids. But he's someone who has embraced, I guess, both you know, um, the monastic and the lay uh, world and hasn't, did not really distinguish either and has really paved a, a unique sort of pioneering path towards uh, followers in that tradition. To, to, to this day, uh, in Japan, you know, Pure Land Buddhism is among the most um, popular forms of Buddhism uh, practiced today. So uh, with that short intro, um, I'd like to just roll through my PowerPoint, which will help me to keep on track. There's so much material here, but um, I will just focus on the Kotaishi Shotoku Hosan, which is Shinran's devotion to him of Prince Shotoku. Okay, so 
<laughs> I usually do these objectives. So today I'd like to talk about uh, Shinran and Prince Shotoku and talk about the connection between the two. And then review the life and times of Shinran, including his dreams and contribution to Buddhism. And then play Shinran's Jodo Shinshu Buddhism within the context of Japanese Buddhism. And appreciate the unique aspects of Jodo Shinshu Buddhism through a closer examination of Shinran's Kotaishi Shotoku Hosan. I want to just give you some context of the medieval period in Japan and the emergence of Pure Land Buddhism. Um, I don't know how much like contextual background um, you are familiar with, but just to roll through some of that. We're talking about medieval period roughly during the time of 1200 to 1500. Um, and uh, the height of that time with Shinran and Honen was uh, Heian period from 794, 1185 and 1185 to 1333. This is like the emergence of the warrior society in uh, Japan, and there was a lack of any centralized or dominant political or religious orthodoxies. Um, the Buddhist institution was becoming increasingly powerful. They were gaining a lot of wealth through the, the tax-free shoen system. Um, so much so that uh, they had to move the capital uh, from Nara to Kyoto, Kyoto, and the emperor wanted to establish a new center for Buddhism by um, handpicking his own um, Buddhist monks, uh, Saicho and Kukai, uh, who founded um, Tendai at Mount Hiei and um, Mount and the, and the, and the uh, Shingon at uh, Mount Koya, respectively. And there's this idea of the mappo consciousness that's very important to understand. In, in East Asia, there was a periodization of Buddhist history where um, mappo means the age of degenerating dharma. It's a period when um, no one could attain enlightenment or realize enlightenment through their own efforts uh, because the Buddha's teachings has been far removed from his, its original inception. Um, the, the, the first 500 years of true uh, Dharma was, you know, from, from Buddha's birth onto, you know, zero. And then uh, another thousand years was the period of counterfeit or imitative Dharma. Um, but they were living in a time from a thousand onward, right? right in that sort of crux of the Heian and Kamakura period, the period of Mapo. So there's a kind of like, a, the, the, this, the stage is set for a kind of like a, a, a salvific savior figure in, in Kanon uh, who comes um, you know, through the dream of Shotoku. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then as a result of that, um, Mapo consciousness and all the kind of the growing wars and corruption and religious political atmosphere during the day, uh, there was uh, emergence of new forms of Buddhism. 
the, the three main ones are, are the Pure Land and Nichiren and Zen. Now these schools have something in common in the fact that they had emphasized just one single practice to, towards enlightenment. And it wasn't based on their own efforts, but it was based on the merits that was uh, available to uh, the vehicle that they aspire, aspire to. Uh, for uh, Zen, you, well, they don't really emphasize the uh, obtaining of enlightenment because Zen practitioners are already enlightened. It's like wiping the foggy mirror to realize your own innate uh, Buddhahood. For Nichiren, he emphasized the importance of the Lotus Sutra and believing that you have the Tathagata Garbha, that you have innate Buddhahood and, uh, in you. You just have to uh, really chant that phrase to recall that. And in Pure Land, uh, advocated chanting of Nembutsu that was based on, um, you know, calling out the name of Amida Buddha um, and the vows that he he made before he became a Buddha. So, of course, we're going to focus on Shinran here um, in Pure Land. So, uh, just a little bit dark there, but just a little brief um, key points about Shinran who lived right in the middle of that Kamakura period. There's a pupil of Honen and founder of Jozo Shinshi Buddhism, or Shin in Japan. He married Eshini, which is a unique characteristic at that time. Uh, the daughter of a powerful clan in Echigo, where he was exiled and, and he had children. He wrote the Kyogyo Shinsho, which is main work. And then towards the end of his life, which is the, the hymn that we're gonna be looking at, he wrote, um, the Kotaishi Shotoku Hosan at the age of 83 in 1255. The main sort of primal vow um, before Amida Buddha became Amida Buddha, um, he was the Bodhisattva Dharmakara who made 48 vows. And Although all the vows are important, the 18th vow is the primal vow because it holds the most important um, buddhaology, if you will, or the message behind Pure Land Buddhism and f especially with uh, the teaching of Shinjin in um, Shinran's te um, teaching. And it goes like this. If when I, Dharmakara, attain Buddhahood, the sentient beings of the Ten Quarters with sincere mind entrusting. This is the um, Shinjin, um, which is sometimes loosely translated as faith. But you can't quite say faith in the Western notion because of, you know, in Buddhism, the dichotomous relationship is, you know, diffused. So sincere mind entrusting themselves, aspiring to be born in my land, and saying my name perhaps even 10 times should I should not to be born there, may I not attain the supreme enlightenment. Excluded are those who commit the five great offenses and those who slander the right dharma. So that's in Shinran's Kyogyo Shinsho. So that's, once again, that's the vow that's just prevailing throughout his teachings and uh, it'll come um, through in, in, in his hymns as well. Okay, so, it's, it was kind of tricky to do both, to bring Prince 
Shotoku and Shinran together. Um, you know, that's what I try to do in the book. Um, I have to give you an uh, introduction to both and then try to make the connection there. So for those of you who are f unfamiliar, this is uh, Prince Shotoku, Shotoku Taishi, whose uh, name was Umayado, um, meaning stable door. He was uh, apparently born in the stable, uh, just like in reference of Jesus in some ways. We have uh, the years 574, 622. His picture is right there. He's flanked by his brother and his eldest son. Uh, he was a, a regent uh, during the reign of Empress Suiko in 592. His father, Yome, became sick, but uh, the prince um, did not want to kind of take on the throne. He kind of renounced and kind of took more of a back seat and was a regent. So uh, much like it, you know, in the life of Siddhartha, if you will. Um, their legendary accounts are recorded, recorded uh, on Prince Shotoku uh, in the Japanese historical records of Nihon Shoki and Kojiki, 720 and 712 um, CE. I have to kind of stop right there and just um, let you know that in, there's a chapter in my book called the Shotoku Conspiracy Theory. And it is my view, <laughs> it is my view, um, based on the research um, of the Japanese sources and just sort of like uh, the evidence that I looked at, I think Shotoku was a fictitious figure, but he was invent and he was invented uh, cleverly by the, uh, the ruling Soga imperial family when they took power. And then he, they made a very clever kind of uh, a tradition um, and, and chronicles um, to make him real. Um, but, and I, I, I took this sort of uh, um, point up with my advisor, Richie Abe, I said, what do you think about that? He must have been a fake. Because um, there's, all the accounts about Shotoku is so, it's, it's so miraculous. Uh, you know, he was born, he was able to hear many people at once, and, he, almost like the, the, the Siddhartha is, you know, has all these kind of legendary and miraculous sort of uh, myths, legends around it. And um, the wise Bodhisattva Ryuchi Abe said, you know, it doesn't quite, that's not important. Just like any myths, it's important how people have treated as real and how the values being communicated through, you know, myths over time. Those are the things that you need to look at. And, and he was right. And that's what I try to focus on. He, he was very significant. Okay, so, and then in 604, another contribution by him, or perhaps the imperial family, was that they, he issued the 17-article constitution, which is the Jushijo Kempo, uh, which was like the first constitution in Japan. Uh, and when it, in it, it was very um, uh, Confucian in character kind of uh, showing obe obedience to the emperor and so forth. Uh, but it also promoted Buddhism as state religion because in Article 2 it says, reverence the three treasures. Uh, and, also, and, and as a result of that, he is regarded as the father of Japanese Buddhism. And, and in order to stamp his sort of uh, place in history, uh, he is also credited to have sponsored the building of Buddhist temples, uh, I believe 46 altogether, maybe a little bit more, including main ones, Shtenoji, okay, uh, Horyuji, and Rokakudo. Um, 
Uh, and these are very important temples. They have certain meanings, and I'll get to those because um, it, it's uh, part of this whole talk here. So I hope I'm doing okay. Everybody okay? <laughs> uh, moving on. Okay, this is the, um, the Guze Kanon that is in the Rokakudo kind of background here. But uh, getting back to these dreams again, um, Shinran, after uh, 20, he, at, at the age of nine, his father put him into the, um, the temples and uh, he just was raised in the sort of tradition of the old schools in, at Mount Hiei. And at the age of 29, for some reason, and scholars are kind of um, not in agreement, but there's a lot of uh, um, gray areas, he left Mount Hiei um, and went to, uh, uh, you know, a Rokakudo, where he took a hundred-day seclusion at Rokakudo. Um, my my theory is that, um, you know, once again, in light of this Mapo era, there was a growing uh, religio-political <coughs> atmosphere in the temples um, at Mount Hiei. And so I believe that he was a conscientious monk that did not want to, no longer wanted to associate himself with, with that uh, atmosphere and context. And so he left uh, out of dissatisfaction. So he went to uh, like a retreat, if you will, for 100 days. And this is where everything comes together. And this is where Shinran and Shotoku kind of meet in this sort of miraculous or, you know, uh, dream or visions that he had. On the 95th day, towards the end, uh, he receives a vision of Prince Shotoku, who appears in his dream as a manifestation of Kanon and tells him that he will meet a great person. Now, in his dreams, he had several dreams. This person would be Honan, of course. Um, he also had other things that were important. Um, the Kanon also told him that he would meet, he would, uh, or she would re reincarnate herself as a woman so that if he were to marry Eshini, uh, then, you know, he would be marrying her, essentially. So with that dream, um, he, he, was, uh, he also legitimized or found justification for his uh, retreating from the vow of cel celibacy. Okay, um, Okay. now we're going to that thing, but uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, the connection between the two as I go through the notes here. Also in the dream, as, as we'll look at you know, more closely, as we look at the text together, because that's why we're here, um, he also started to call or refer to uh, Shoto Kutaishi uh, as Guze Kanon. The adjective Guze is very significant. It means world-saving bodhisattva of compassion. And once again, I think this is a, a very timely uh, dream, and it fits really nicely with how Shotoku can come and um, provide that sort of um, expectation of a savior during that time when the whole, all of Japan needed one. 
It's very complicated. I'm trying to sort of break it down for you, but another thing you have to c understand was that, you know, Buddhism originated in India, China, then went to Korea, and then to Japan. So the Japanese Buddhist was always challenged and had to think of ways, I believe, to kind of find that clear transmission of the Dharma uh, from its original link or you know, uh, roots in India. And as we look closely at Prince Shotoku, who becomes manifested as Kanon, and Kanon is like a figure who is like, you know, is a, like a portal, you know? Because Kanon is also worshipped in Korea as Kwanzeom, and Kanon is also worshipped in China as Guanyin, and Kanon is also worshipped as Avalokiteshvara in India. So Kanon is just a portal. Once you get there, you can get direct access to India. And so now, uh, having Prince Shotoku, who, who kind of like uh, was the father of Japanese Buddhism, equated with Kanon in this mysterious union in the dream, it's a very clever way to sort of put Japan on the map, if, we, if you will. And they didn't have to give any sort of a, allegiance to Korea nor China, they're going all the way back to the Buddha. So I, I think that was very clever. But um, let's look at it a little bit further here. Now, as we look at the uh, text here, um, which you have, if, if you can't see this, is a little dark, you might be able to follow through as I kind of sift through these notes. Um, Okay, these are kind of line, line, line by line. I can't go through all of them, but um, I just picked some key passages that can certainly ref give you a window of what uh, Shinran, his view and his worship of Shotoku. Now, just to give you a little bit of background and um, understand the scope of his worship and devotion to Shotoku, let me give you um, a little bit of figures here. Now Shinran wrote over 500 wasan, hymns, in devotion to various patriarchs of in the Jodo Shinshu and the Pure Land tradition. And, uh, but of 500, 190 of them were written specifically in worship of Prince Shotoku. That's about you know, nearly 40% of his hymns. Compared to his hymns dedicated to Honen, it was about 4%. And to other patriarchs, it, it didn't go anywhere above 7, 7 to 8%. But for Shotoku, it was 40%. So that in itself is very significant that Shotoku was a very important part of his Buddhology, uh, along with his teaching and kind of innovative teaching on Shinjin and so forth. So why Shotoku? Why Shotoku? So here we go. And I think this uh, you know, passage and this hymn kind of captures uh, the importance of Shotoku. Give rev reverence to Prince Shotoku of the country 
of Japan. Out of his deep compassion, Prince Shotoku brought the profound Buddhist teachings to the people and was responsible for the spread of Buddhism in Japan. This establishes basically the thesis of his hymn that he is the father of Japanese Buddhism. He is our guy. Whether we invented him, no, invented him or not, we're going to go with it. <laughs> so, and he is the one who, out of his compassion, and again, that word compassion and his, his, um, you know, his attribute will kind of mystically link well with Kanon later on. Um, but Shotoku is our guy. Okay. Um, Second one says, after he ordered the construction of the four sub-temples of Shitenoji, which is the 40 guardian temples, Prince Shotoku went into the forest in Otagi, which is Kyoto, and made a proclamation. This is, um, you know, there is a prophetic tradition here um, in history according to the Nihon Shoki, um, before the inception of Buddhism in Japan, there was the indigenous tradition of Shinto. And the existing families, imperial family, the Mononobe, fought against the Soga, who was kind of vying for power. Those are the two big clans at the time. The Soga family supported Buddhism. And Prince Shotoku is from the Soga side, and he vowed that, you know, if they won this battle over the Mononobe, they, he would dedicate this temple called Shitenoji, which means the guardian of the four, um, four kings, four deities. And um, so there is a prophetic tradition here that is already set in place. So it's very clever. Uh, we'll keep on going here. Uh, number three, we have Prince Shotoku uh, stated that the imperial capital would surely be established there sometime in the future to commemorate the event. Once again, there is a prophetic tradition. This is another kind of like um, language in Nihon Shoki that um, Shinran kind of pulled to give an attribute of, you know, a miraculous power to Shotoku. Again, building his legendary kind of status, uh, ability to predict and so forth. Um, and then to commemorate the event, a hexagonal platform was built on that land. We're talking about Rokakudo. So inside the hexagonal temple, Rokakudo, uh, three inch tall, Jamunada golden statue, Guze Kano. Now this is where we get the introduction of Kano, okay? Um, it's placed there for security and protection. And the word Guze, once again, is, is very important. Um, it kind of reaffirms that Mapo consciousness. Um, the fact that Kano is used because of Kanon's kind of ability to kind of go through all the, you know, traditions of the world, you know, it's there's that fluid nature. Uh, 
and, and the hexagonal, the temple and the Rokakudo, there's that connection because that's where the place where Shinran's gonna have his dreams. His, everything's gonna just blow up there basically. So it's sort of setting it so that he's gonna enter the picture a little bit later in other hymns and, 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 and writings and so forth. I don't know if you can read that part. It says, after speaking, uh, sorry, after spending several decades in the imperial capital of Namba in the Setsu province, Prince Shotoku moved to Tachibana, where he built the Horyuji. Here we go with the building of temples. Now, another kind of thing to remember is that, you know, this building of temples is a very important kind of way of, I don't know, claiming territory. Just like Ashoka did with his vision of building stupas and monuments, 84,000, you know, the, everything like that. And I believe there's something like that going on here, you know. Uh, and, and these temples um, reflect that. From the capital of Tachibana, Prince Shotoku moved again to Nara, where he built many more temples. And once again, this is sort of in progression of all the Buddhist centers that began from Nara, which is kind of the Chinese version to meet it. Um, so he's sort of like, okay, I've taken that and stamped that. And then he's gonna go to Kyoto, stamp that, and then move on. Uh, so he continued. After the region of the four emperors in Nara, the capitals moved to Nagaoka 50 years and then moved again to Otagi, Kyoto. And that's exactly what happened. So once again, just sort of validates that he knew that this was gonna happen. It was all in you know, his plan. During the reign of Emperor Kammu in Enraki, Enraku 6, 787, the capital was being built the world-saving bodhisattva compassion. Here we go with Guze Kanon now. Perform miraculous signs for the people to hold. The Horyuji was constructed out on the first site, which marked the spread of Buddhism in Japan. And Prince Shotoku's building of many temples and pagodas in various places. Uh, let me just finish this part, just one more verse. In uh, observance of Prince Shotoku's orders, the people along with the imperial family and the court officials um, gave homage and paid their respects at the hexagonal, oops, sorry, at the hexagonal temple. Okay, um, so Horyuji is in Nara. So obviously that's significant because that's where Buddhism in Japan began as they, you know, received it from Korea, but mainly under the Chinese models. So it's important for them to start there, to stamp their authority there. Um, and then uh, once again, this building of temples and it's very important. Um, Merche Eliade did a book called The Sacred and Profane and talked about this idea of the Imago Dei, the Access Mundi. These are sacred sites which kind of reveal the presence of the numinous, the holy. And in this same way, I believe that when these temples are being built and these 
pivotal, like kind of historical centers, it's saying that, look, this is the Buddha's world. You know, yeah, there's an 84,000 temple, but there's one there that's founded by Shotoku, and it comes all the way through, um, you know, from the Buddha himself to the manifestation of Kano. Okay, so I, th I think uh, we get the um, um, j sort of like the gist of what's going on here, um, but I, I want to also say that you know, the indigenous tradition of Japan, of Shinto, also contributed in sort of the building and gluing the sort of continual uh, development of, of Shotoku worship. Because Shotoku, you know, was worshipped not only as the father of Japanese Buddhism, but also Okami. He's of the imperial descent. And that way he could be timeless and also stamp uh, his approval. And, and as a result of that, what I, was, what I realized was, and this is sort of like a theme that kind of prevails throughout my book, as Shinran introduced his in innovative teaching, he did it in a way that it was consistent with the, the Japanese context, the spiritual context. And he did it in a way that he weaved the two, almost in a tantric kind of way, to bring about an acceptance of that to the point where it became very popular um, for all classes. All right, moving on to the next one. I'll try to go a little bit faster now. Let's just put it all out there. Okay. In these verses, um, we're trying to um, talk about Prince Shotoku's you have to continue to legitimate, legitimize Prince Shotoku's sort of authority, if you will. So you have to kind of go all the way back to Indian tradition. And so Shinran writes in his hymn, Shotoku was born as Queen Shamala in India, a, a woman who you know, was a queen, and, and she had the lion's roar sutra. Um, she, in her sutra, she emphasized the importance of the Tathagata Garbha doctrine of the innate Buddhahood and all, all beings. And she also emphasized the single vehicle, the Akayana. Um, this is important to understand because um, Shinran, when he was practicing Nembutsu at Mount Hiei, you know, in Mount Hiei, the Nembutsu was understood as within kind of five activities. One was to walk around the statue of Amida Buddha, reciting and chanting his name for 90 days, called the Zogyo Zangmai. He did that a lot as a doso, which was a low-level monk. And another one was to continue uh, to meditate. Another one was to practice walking around the, med uh, the meditation platform, and also walk around and meditate. <laughs> And then, and the fourth, and the fifth one was to do seated meditation. Anyhow, Nembutsu was a little bit more than just a single practice. Now, um, when Shinran left Mount Hiei, Nembutsu became basically chanting the name of Amida Buddha, which he learned from Honen. But he sort of refined it to make it so that it wasn't continuous chanting, but it was like, you know, once with with Shinjin, or maybe ten times with Shinjin, 
that was enough. If you had the right kind of sincere mind, that would be enough. Um, the he, she, he also traces uh, Shihotoku to uh, Master Hisu, who is the, you know, the founder or the one who is the master of Qi Yi in, in the second patriarch of Tiantai school in China. So then you have the Chinese element there. And he explains it, you know, how uh, he appeared in all these places and continued to um, spread the Buddhist teachings. And he's proclaiming Shakyamuni Tathagata's teaching. So he's once again going all the way back to beyond the, 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 um, the Indian uh, and Chinese traditions, all the way back to Shakyamuni himself. Excuse me. Okay, so here we go. The next set, which is kind of similar. Here I think um, we're talking about the similar things here, but um, I wanted to just focus a little bit on like 18, uh, believe that Tathagata came in the past and declared that he would turn the wheel of Dharma in order to spread the teach Buddhist teachings. Um, once again, there's a, a prophetic tradition that's here, and it kind of sets the stage of Prince Shotoku entering at the time that he did. Um, and the 21 wanted to show you that um, the Shtenoji that was built after the victorious uh, defeat of the uh, the Mononobic clan, it was built in the sort of like in the design of the Pure Land, because you have a, a pond there, and you have um, you know the Amida, and um, and, and the idea of you know the the triad of Amida, and um, you have the um, the the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, Seishi, and the Bodhisattva of Compassion, you know, Kano, whom in him, his hymns and his writings, he felt that uh, his mother was Amida, and then his wife was Seishi, and he also envisioned himself as being Kano. And then later, um, some of his disciples says he, Shinran too, was a reincarnation of Kanon and Amida Buddha. Here are some reference to King Songmyong of Baekje. Once again, um, you have, you know, recorded in the Neon Shoki that um, the king, the Korean king, sent an emissary to bring him Buddhist statues and some sutras. And I believe that this was cleverly done because. It says in 27, a, a gilt bronze statue of Guze Kanon is enshrined in the Kyodoin temple after the death of Prince Shotoku. In, in, in a way, he's saying like, he, he was, he, after the, the king heard about Prince Shotoku's kind of, you know, death, out of mourning and compassion, he sent it. So it was like Prince Shotoku made him um, bring all these things, which kind of cuts the line of 
giving um, credit to the Korean lineage there, I believe. Okay, I think that's significant. Okay, the next set of um, passages here. once again tries to kind of legitimate, legitimize his historical uh, lineage to the imperial family, and once again um, saying that he was a child of Yomei, um, and then he had these uh, abilities, uh, not only to do the, all these stately things, but as a, a, a learned Buddhist uh, monk, you know, if you will, he wrote commentaries on these pivotal and, and key sutras. I think uh, I have a few more passages, but they're pretty much saying similar things that I wanted to point out. So I think what I'll do now is um, kind of talk about what these mean, the, the significance of these hymns and what they reveal. So I believe that these hymns reveal that Shenran had a profound worship of Prince Shotoku. I, I don't know if it was truly a personal devotion or whether because, you know, everybody in those days had to legitimize their teaching or rule through um, you know, worship of Shotoku. He was like the main guy, if you will. He was the stamp. When I, I, I had a chance to visit uh, um, Japan and went to a place called Mito, and it's a little community that Shunran once visited, and in the sort of like a worship hall, there was a a scroll hanging of the image of Shinran, and next to it was Shotoku Taishi. So it, it's their worship together in some ways. So, uh, so Prince Shotoku plays a very interesting role in uh, Japanese history, and I believe because of his role as sort of like his multifaceted role as a kami, as a you know father of Buddhism and with all these legendary accounts and ability to you know, uh, have miraculous powers, really interestingly uh, weaved in this sort of like new form of Buddhism which was embraced by the masses but also legitimized as being authoritative and also kind of uh, enabled Japan to be, be kind of a strong sort of roots that it didn't have to appeal to Korean or Chinese or even Indian, but it, 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 the, the, the teachings came straight from the Buddha, you know, carried through the portal by Kano. I think that's, that's about it. <laughs> Thank you.